Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Well, it's great to see you this morning. And I tell you, this is one of the great passages of Scripture, really. The great stories of the Passover, uh, along with the passing through the Red Sea. And people have tried to explain that away. They've tried to use all kinds of natural causes in order to uh, bring explanation to it. And folks, God is just a big God. He's able. Uh, And we can trust him. We can look at our lives and we can see how God has been at work in our lives. I'm sure that you can look back on certain things within your life to, to recognize the hand of God and how God has been faithful to carry you through circumstances, situations that maybe in the midst of it, you didn't think you're going to be able to get through. But God is good. And clearly we have an opportunity to look at the Lord and thank him for our salvation and all that God has provided for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus really is the hero of history, and we're a part of a story, a narrative, uh, that God began at the very beginning, and that God has been faithful in order to accomplish, and that he is accomplishing. And the question really is, are we willing to follow him? Are we willing to walk with him? Are we yielded to him in every area of our lives, recognizing that our lives are his, and that our lives are really for him? Uh, We're going to look at the last plague, uh, the death of the firstborn. We looked through the plagues this last week. Uh, All of them have been leading to this point. Pharaoh has continued uh, to reject God, to reject the power and the authority and the majesty of God himself. And as a result, has been given over to a hardened heart. And so we come to this final point where uh, everything's been culminating to. We, we see this uh, great clash of ideas, great clash of worldviews, great, great clash of belief systems, if you will, where the Egyptians have all their gods and then there's the one true God. And in the midst of it, Israel gets to witness what it is that God is able to do. And they get to, to share and, and declare the glory of God in the midst of their circumstances. I think this last plague is just devastating when it comes to Egypt. Egypt has just been decimated. Whether it's through the frogs or whether it's through the lice or whether it's through the flies or whether it's through the death of the livestock, whether it's through the the darkness, right? Whether it's through the hail or the grasshoppers, the locusts that come and, and destroy everything else that the hail did not. Whether it's the separation of Israel from the consequences of the Egyptians' belief systems and, and the Egyptians and their ability to look out and recognize that God was distinguishing who he was bringing these catastrophes upon. We get to see this last plague as this moment where God himself steps in and frees the people of Israel. In chapter 11 of Exodus, and I'm going (laughs) to, we're kind of running all year. Amen. This is a marathon, but I feel like it's a a marathon sprint. All right. So we're going to kind of cover this. Chapter 11. I think it's interesting. The Lord instructs the Israelites what to do before he even accomplishes this last plague, this last judgment, if you will. It makes it very clear. You be ready makes it very clear. You go to your Egyptian neighbors and you ask them for articles of gold and silver. And the Lord gave favor to the Israelites in the sight of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were all too happy to give them whatever they requested. They were also to prepare unleavened bread for the journey. 
They were to make sure that they were ready to go. They were, in effect, to be ready to walk out the door. I don't know about you at your house, uh, but when we say, hey, we've got to leave at 9.30, that usually means we've got to leave at 9.35. Is that anybody else? I mean, I'm the only one. See, when I say get ready to my family, it means at 9.30 we're in the car and we're pulling out. But they have the idea in their minds, and and I can't change it, so I've just learned to receive it from the Lord as God's discipline in my life uh, to remind me that I don't have any patience, but that he is all patient. He's the all patient one. I got all the patience I need in Christ, but I got to die to self first, right? And so I've learned uh, to just be ready. And and when we leave, we leave, and God's sovereign over the time of things. I'm not worried about it. I've grown a little bit. Now, every once in a while, I get tweaked. But the truth of the matter is, is they were to be ready. They were to have all their sandals on. They were to have their robes girded up. They were to have the food prepared. They were to have even articles from all the Egyptians given to them. And they were to be ready. Folks, I I think there's something about that for Christians today. The Lord's told us, don't get caught unaware. The Lord's coming back. And are we to be ready? Yeah, we are. We're to be looking for him. I believe in the imminent return of Christ. He could come at any second. He can come when he chooses to come. And the question is, are we as the people of God ready to be taken out? They were to be ready. In verse 2, he tells them to get the articles of gold from the Egyptians, from their neighbors. Verse 3, Moses, the people are given favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Uh, the, the plague is explained in verse 4 that the firstborn of the land, uh, from the pharaohs all the way to the slave girl, including even the cattle, that the firstborn is going to be killed. And that's, that's something. Think about that proclamation after all these other plagues, after all these devastating events. In chapter 12, we have the picture of Christ and the Passover lamb. Boy, what a picture this is. Some of you are going to be celebrating that on Tuesday with John Sondager and his his group there, and it's going to be a sweet time, I'm sure, just walking through what is the Passover, what are the significant elements of the Passover, not only from a, a Jewish perspective, but I think even more importantly from a Christian perspective. What does this mean, the Passover lamb? It's so essential to Israel, this Passover, this celebration, this feast, that it's decreed as the first month of the year for them. They are to take this time period and, in effect, change their entire calendar to revolve around this particular feast. It's a new beginning. It's a new day. It's a new start. They're to observe it each year in remembrance of how the Lord has rescued them out of the land of Egypt, and don't miss this, out of slavery. Out of slavery. In verse 5, we know that the lamb was to be unblemished. It was to be killed at twilight in verse 6. And in verse 7, they were to place the blood on the doorposts and the lintel of the house. They were to place it on the sides and on the top. Because when the angel of death came through, if he saw the blood, he passed over that house and the firstborn of that home would be spared. If the blood was not there, the firstborn was killed. In the Bible Knowledge Commentary, which is Walvoord and several others, I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but it's a great commentary. They say this, 
The sprinkled blood on the Israelites' house provided protection from death when God destroyed the Egyptian firstborn. From the verb Passover comes the noun that designates the feast, the Passover. I'm not even going to try to say the Hebrew word because I know John will correct me afterwards. And I just, where, where is John? I know he's back there. Thank you. I was waiting for it, man. <laughs> Amen. Pesach. As the blood of an animal was the means of deliverance and of escaping death, so Christ's blood is the means of redemption for believers. You see the picture? Saved out of slavery. Saved out of bondage. What's our salvation? Saved out of sin. The slavery to sin. Into the family of God. Into Christ. The Passover lamb is such a beautiful picture of Christ Jesus himself. In verse 8, they're told to eat the lamb roasted with fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Perhaps a symbol, the bitter herbs, of grief for past sin and or their slavery in Egypt. The unleavened bread, we're going to look at that because there's the feast of unleavened bread. It has the idea of, of that which is without sin. Leaven in the Old Testament is a picture of sin. And I don't know about you, but I always I have this in my mind. When, when you begin to bake, and I don't bake, okay, I, I cook omelets. When there's nothing for dinner, I go, I'll do an omelet. <laughs> That's what I do, right? So this week I've had omelets because... <laughs> there hasn't been much cooking, right? Anyway, the point is, is leaven, you put it into bread. And what does leaven do? Come on, ladies. It rises. It rises. Unleavened bread is flat, right? Leaven placed in begins to rise. So leaven as a picture of sin is something that for us we begin to relate to because we begin to feel and recognize our flesh, our sinful nature rising up within us. And it ought to be a flag immediately. Not that we got to do something about sin. (laughs) Folks, if we could do something about sin, if we could conquer sin, then why did Jesus go to the cross? But what we begin to recognize is, oh Lord, my flesh is starting to rise up. I need you. And I immediately begin to learn to run to the Lord And to submit to the Lord in the midst of whatever the circumstance is. Whatever is causing my flesh to rise up. The whole picture here of the Passover and the whole picture of what God is doing in these plagues is is not only to reveal himself as a covenant keeping, a promise keeping God to Israel. But also as God of gods, of Lord of lords. He's greater than the Egyptian gods. In Exodus 12, 11 through 13, it says this, You shall eat it in this manner, meaning the Passover, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And, listen to this, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I and the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The Passover, the blood of the Lamb, a perfect, spotless, unblemished Lamb. In verses 21 through 22, 
Moses calls all the elders of Israel and he says to them this, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. The picture of salvation that God is providing the people of Israel of the future coming Messiah that had been predicted even from the very beginning of Genesis. The picture of the spotless, unblemished Lamb of God. The picture of the one and only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, coming to this earth in order to go to the cross because he alone is able to pay for our sin, to redeem us, to purchase us off the slave block of sin. For the people of Israel, this picture is given very clearly, and they have an opportunity to believe in God. Even as it says of Abraham, as we looked at several weeks ago, Abraham did what? He believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, salvation. So too now, the people of Israel have an opportunity to believe and have it credited to them as salvation, as righteousness. Not on the basis of their works, but on the basis of what God had done. And in their looking forward to the promises that God had given, not only to them, but also to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to the people of Israel. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 17, we see the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And today, this feast is so intertwined with the Passover that it isn't even really distinguished. They are two different feasts, but they're so interlinked with one another that they're celebrated together. Exodus twelve seventeen, he says, You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. And again, quoting the Bible Knowledge Commentary, homes were to be cleansed of yeast, which is a symbol of sin. The absence of yeast suggested that those who were under the safety of shed blood were free from the corruption of sin before a holy God. Fascinating. Get rid of the yeast. Don't have anything to do with it. Don't put it in your bread. Get rid of it. You even clean your home of it. Because you are to be separate, set apart under the Lord. Well, we know the story. The Lord comes. The angel of death comes. The firstborn all throughout Egypt is killed. And there's a great cry in Egypt, and Pharaoh finally relents and says, go, get out of here. Don't want you here anymore. Be gone. And so the Israelites, ready to go, because they were ordered to be ready to go, leave. Can you imagine that moment? Man, can you imagine that? You've been in slavery for 430 years. You've been told that there's a promised land that you're going to go to, that God's going to rescue you. Joseph said, when you leave, take my bones with you. Unbelievable. And all of a sudden, the command is given. Oh, can you imagine the excitement of the children? (laughs) 
and have been jumping all over the place. Where are we going? Where are we going? Well, we're going to the land of the promised land. We're out of here. You know, get your toys. Come on, let's go. I mean, unbelievable. Get the food, get the animals. Don't forget the gold. We need that. Off we go. Oh, that must have been some moment. Folks, can you remember when you came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? And in that moment, you knew you were free. It wasn't just a story. It was something real. It was tangible. You can look back on it and you know God rescued you in spite of you. That you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and something changed in your life. You were set free from the slave block of sin. Redeemed. And your life has never been the same since. Think about that. What a beautiful story all of us have of how God is able to rescue In Exodus 12, verses 37 and following, it says this, The sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. They baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years of the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Wow, can you imagine, folks, being a part of that host Leaving the noise, the chaos, the excitement, the joy of knowing we've been freed. We've been freed. Chapter 13 is all about consecrating the firstborn to the Lord as a remembrance, as a reminder of what God saved Israel out of and how God killed the firstborn. In Egypt. In verses 8 through 9 in Exodus 13, it says, You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. <laughs> I think we have a map I want to show you because as we get into this next part, it's really fascinating. See the red dot? Egypt's obviously on the left. You see the Nile towards the left. The Israelites were probably in the north of Egypt, which is why it said they went by the way of the Philistines. They could have gone north, away from the water, kind of towards the land of Canaan. But instead, the Lord brought them back down towards where this red dot is. And then they crossed over, at that time it was called the Red Sea, into this peninsula area, which is where the Mount Sinai um, is believed to be. And just a few weeks ago, I was given an interesting archaeological article that in this area, underneath all the water of the Suez Canal, they have found what they believe to be a mass Egyptian army grave. Uh, Chariots, right? Bones of soldiers. And it's fascinating 
when you begin to understand that the Lord took them into this area specifically, first of all, so they wouldn't get fearful of war by going the way of the Philistines, but also in order to reveal his power to them of the salvation that he had accomplished for them. In Exodus 13, verses 17 and following, it says this, When Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, for God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Catch verse 19. It's such a great picture. You ought to underline this one, because what a, what a testimony of faith with regard to Joseph. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. What an amazing picture of faith. Over 400 years earlier, and Joseph says, you're going to swear to me that you're going to take my bones out of here. You're going to bury me in the land, the promised land of Canaan, because God will surely take care of you and will take you out of this place. Verse 20, they set out from Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Well, what's interesting in the midst of this is the Lord's leading them in martial array and he doesn't take them on the northern part. He takes them through the wilderness and he takes them towards the Red Sea is that Pharaoh learns that Israel has fled. And so he has his chariots. He has 600 chariots, select chariots, as well as other chariots. Evidently, they must have had divisions. So he takes the best of his men, the best of the chariots at that point in time. He takes other chariots that had officers over them. And he also, in verse 10, we find that there are those who are foot soldiers. There are those who are marching along with them. So this army is sent out, dispatched, in order to get back these Israelites because they had been slaves to Egypt. They had done them a lot of work. And so Pharaoh, in the midst of his anguish, had let them go. But his heart is hardened. He is so stubborn that he decides, well, we need to get them back. The Israelites number 600,000 men. That's what we're told. But it says also aside from children. And so obviously the women in there, some estimates up to about 2 million people. 2 million people. Can you imagine? Along with all the livestock and along with all the wealth. The Lord leads them toward the Red Sea and he does it by a pillar of fire at nighttime and a pillar or a cloud by day. (laughs) How cool is that? There goes the Lord. Let's go. We're following him. This is where he's headed. This is where he's going. Now they get to the point where they're at the Red Sea. And what's really cool about this picture is that the Red Sea's in front of them, so they can't go forward. The Egyptian army's behind them, so they can't go backwards. But there are canyons to either side of them, so they can't escape. Don't miss that. You know, God loves putting us into box canyons. He doesn't do it because he's a mean God. He doesn't do it because he likes to put us under uh, uh, his thumb. 
He loves to show his power to us. He loves to show that he's able in spite of what we understand, in spite of what we can figure out. And there's no question that that's what he's doing here with the children of Israel, with the Jewish people. He's placed them in a position where they have to believe God. They have to do what he says. And they learn to begin to walk by faith, by God's power, that God's fighting for them, that God's ahead of them, that God will protect them, that the things that are happening to them have been filtered through his hands, that he's a faithful God. In Exodus 14, verses 13 and following is such a great statement by Moses. Moses says to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep what? Silent. (laughs) Isn't that great? Think about that. Think about that in your own life. What is it that's happening in your own life that you feel like you're trapped? You can't get out of it. There's nowhere to turn. You can't go forward. You can't go backwards. You can't go to the right. You can't go to the left. You don't see any way out of it. And yet the Lord will fight for you. And as we look to the Lord, we begin to take hope. We begin to be encouraged we recognize his character is unchangeable, that he's the same yesterday as he is today as he is forever. And in the midst of that, we have the opportunity of seeing the power, the ability of God in the midst of our lives and to rejoice in what he alone is able to accomplish. The Lord tells Moses to lift up his staff to divide the sea so that they can walk through on dry ground. Can you imagine Moses? I mean, he's done all this stuff, right? He's thrown the staff down. It's turned into a snake, ate up all the other snakes from the magicians. He's used the staff to hit the, hit the water of the Nile, and it's turned to blood. He's used the staff in all different kinds of ways. And now God's saying to him, you lift up your staff and divide the waters. I don't know what was going through Moses' mind at that particular point in time, but I have a feeling I know what was going through my mind. Lord, this better work. This better work, please, Lord, you know? (laughs) So he, he lifts up that staff. And can you imagine? God sends an east wind. And all night, this wind blows and pushes back the waters, divides the land. Now, the question is, what's going on with the Egyptians? The Israelites had seen them coming. The Lord's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. What happens? The Lord goes and stands in between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Can you imagine that? In the day, it's a huge, thick cloud. I mean, the Egyptians are going, okay. And at night, there's fire. And they cannot advance. I don't know about you, but at that moment in time, I think I would have checked out. I'd have said, you know what? This is stupid. I don't think I'm supposed to be here any longer. And I'm either joining these people for good or I'm out of here and I'm back to Egypt because this doesn't make sense, right? How hard of heart people can get. How hard of heart can we get when we choose not to trust the Lord and believe in what God is able to do? How wicked is our flesh to distrust a faithful, loving God? In the midst of it, the Lord separates the Red Sea. 
and the people go across on dry land. Can you imagine the excitement now? I mean, at one moment, they're total abject fear to the point they're even saying, great, Moses, you brought us out here. It would have been better for us to be back in Egypt, for heaven's sakes. At least we would have been buried in graves there. Here, nobody's going to know about us. (laughs) And the Lord comes between the Egyptian army and the Israelites with a cloud and fire, and then he begins to separate the waters. And it says that they walked through on dry land. And get this, there are walls of water on either side of them. Two million people with all their livestock walking across on dry land into an area that is deep. It's probably got ravines in it because of the way that the water has washed through. And they're walking through this on dry land in safety. And on either side of them, the water has been walled off. Unreal. (laughs) Well, at this moment, I I don't know where to go. Because the Lord lifts the cloud, the fire is now gone, the Egyptian army looks out and sees this sight, and they had some spectacular idea that they were going to go into the Red Sea in order to capture the Israelites. And in they go. And the Lord sends confusion on them. He causes their chariot wheels to go all over the place. They begin to realize that was not the wisest decision in our lives that we ever made. And they begin to try to flee. And God sends the water down on them and kills them all. Some bodies wash up on the shore. The Israelites get to watch this. They're safely now on the other side. Exodus 14, 28 says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Even Pharaoh's entire army had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. Wow. Amazing. A picture of salvation. A picture of hope. A picture of promise fulfilled. The Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is called the lamb of God. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or in Revelation 5.12, it says, Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Or in Romans 5.9, where he says, Much more than having now been justified, made right with God by his blood. Whose blood? The blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We're saved by the cleansing blood of the Lamb, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, by believing in what he alone is able to do, what he has accomplished and provided for the entire world to be rescued in, if we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's not all, though. We have fellowship with one another. We have salvation. We have a relationship that's established in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is very clear about this. It's a done deal. And now, as a result, chapters 4 through 6 in Ephesians are all about walking in Christ, walking as a result of what God has done for us that has been sealed, it has been established, it's been promised, and what God has promised is immutable. We've been justified by his blood. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God's blood, 
is able to cleanse. And when we believe in him, we have been forgiven. We are now sealed in the spirit of God, by the spirit of God in Christ. And now we have the opportunity to walk with him. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Wow, what a beautiful picture. Because we have been purchased, because our sin has been atoned for, paid for, because we are now children of God, we have an opportunity to walk with the Lord in light, with him, and as a result, with one another. What a beautiful picture that is, folks. The Lamb of God not only shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness of our personal sin in him and be justified, we may be made right with him, but now we've been called into the very family of God and we have the opportunity because of what he's done to walk rightly with one another as the family of God. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19 is such a beautiful address about this. He says, if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. And then he says this, conduct yourselves in fear, in respect, in awe during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But how were we redeemed? How were we purchased? With precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. (laughs) I've got a chart for you I want to show you because I think this is fascinating. And it's a picture really of Israel as well as a correlation to us as uh, believers. You have the natural man, you have a carnal Christian, you have a spiritual Christian, you have a rewarded Christian. In Egypt, right, there's the natural man had not yet been saved. They were saved with regard to the Passover. They believed. They then went into the wilderness. But the group that ended up in the wilderness, did they choose to go into the promised land? No, they didn't. I believe they were saved. I believe that they had believed. But boy, they were struggling. They didn't necessarily mature. And then you had a new generation that raised up and God raised up and they crossed the Jordan. So they were spiritual in the sense of being spiritual Christians. They believed God. They, the promised land was already given to them. It was a matter of trusting God and walking in what he had already declared. And then they conquered the land and they were rewarded. They entered into, in effect, the rest, the inheritance As we look forward, as we look on into this story, as we look at how these uh, Jewish people followed God, it's a great picture of how it relates to each and every one of us. And let me ask you some questions because I think this is so imperative. We look at these stories and we look at the Old Testament. We always got to look at it filtered through the eyeglasses of the New Testament. How does this relate to us? What does this say to us? First question is kind of obvious one, isn't it? Do we really want to go back to Egypt? Do we really want to go back to Egypt? We've been saved out of sin. Do we really want our lifestyle to be sinful? Do we really want to walk in unbelief or do we want to walk by faith in Christ, trusting the Lord 
useful to the Lord, serving the Lord, our whole lives given to him to do with as he chooses, knowing that he's good and he's good all the time. That It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's why we were ultimately created. Are we walking in fellowship not only with the Lord, but also one another? We've been saved. We've been rescued. We now have that affirmed in Christ. Why? Because God said it. If you believe in me, you will be saved. God said it. Now we have an opportunity to walk with him in the midst of the salvation that he's affirmed. And the question is, are we walking rightly related to him and then with one another? Do we recognize that Christ shed his blood for us? How beautiful is that? The Lord knows each and every one of us. Think about that. He knows the amount of hair on our heads. For some of us, that's decreasing. But he knows. (laughs) But he knows us. He's intimately acquainted with us. He loves us unconditionally, folks, unconditionally. That means it's not conditioned on anything we do or don't do. It means there's nothing I can do to get God to love me more. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. I'm his child. He loves me. He loves you. So three encouragements this morning. First of all, don't turn back. Don't turn back. Keep on. Keep on. You think about how God has led and how God wants to continue to lead. Keep on. Follow him. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and have all kinds of regret. I want to be able to look forward and say, I've experienced the power of God in my life. I'm not perfect by any stretch. Ask my family. But I know God. And I want to know more. And I'm not satisfied with the things of this world. Don't turn back. Don't go back to Egypt. It's not worth it. It's a lie. Secondly, keep Christ first in everything. In everything. Think about that. I don't care if you're driving. I don't care if you're at work. It doesn't matter whether it's in the family or whether you're taking care of your little dog that threw up this morning. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Keep Christ first in everything. May he be the preeminent thought on our mind. Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, I need you. Lord, thank you that you've provided yourself to me. Lord, help me to walk with you. Lord, what would you have me to do in this circumstance? How much would you have me to give? Lord, how, what would you have me to serve in? What, would it, what is it that you want me to be a part of? What is it that you don't want me to be a part of? Lord, whatever you choose to do, keep Christ first in everything. And lastly, I love this one because I got to tell myself this all the time. Trust the Lord with the impossible. Amen? Trust the Lord with the impossible. What does it look like to you? And you go, I don't see how this is going to happen. There's no way this is going to happen. Oh, we start sounding just like the Israelites who just got rescued out and are now looking at the Red Sea and they're like, oh, you're kidding me. How's this going to happen? Trust the Lord with the impossible. What we define 
as the impossible is an opportunity for God. That's all it is. Because God loves to show his power and his ability in the midst of what we say is impossible. What are you going through in your life? What is it that you declare is impossible? What is it that you're being pulled back towards because you're frustrated? You're down. You're not sure exactly how things are going to work out. Folks, don't turn back. Keep the Lord first in everything and trust the Lord with what you and I would say is impossible. And in and through that, we get to watch God work in ways that in the end, we're able to not say, look at how great we are. We're able to say, look at what a great God we serve. Look how great he is. Because that's what life is all about. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.